Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts, and today it is my pleasure to have as my guest, Claire M. Schwartz. Let me tell our listeners a little bit about Claire. Claire M. Schwartz is the owner and founder of Miriam's Well Healing, LLC. You can heal your grief. She has a Bachelor's of Arts degree. She's a certified professional coach, grief and trauma recovery strategist, Reiki master teacher, spiritual counselor, and trauma survivor. She is also a member of the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress. Claire has been in private practice for over 15 years, taught multiple grief and trauma workshops, hosted grief, grief retreats, taught twice at the Global Grief Conference, and has been a podcast guest across the country. She is also the author of Putting Out the Fire, Nurturing Mind, Body, and Spirit in the First Week of Loss, which has been called the most practical advice for the immediately bereaved available today. It is available on her website and on Amazon. And her website and links to the book and her contact information will all be in our program notes. Claire offers support for individuals, families, and organizations in a variety of virtual ways and is particularly passionate about demystifying and destigmatizing grief and trauma healing. Some of her clients call her Mama Bear, as her approach combines insightful directness with compassion and authenticity. And after all that, I would have to take a little bit of a nap. I can always nap later, Claire, but welcome to the <laughs> Teaching Journeys podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here today, and I'm glad we're going to be able to have a, a far-reaching conversation about grief in the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dave, thanks for having me. Uh, it's taken a little while to put this together, but uh, always a pleasure to work with you uh, to build some tools and help folks get through some tough times. Yes, and Claire and I met through her through our, both our shared association with the Global Grief Conference and the Global Grief Network. We had done some virtual workshops for Tony Lynch's organization. We found that we had very like passions and we're very like-minded. Um, we also are, are are both Rush fans, so we came together. We came together musically as well. So um, it's just been been a great uh, friendship. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, why don't we get right down to it with some questions, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. What would you like to know? <laughs> well, yeah. the first question I'm going to ask you is, that, please tell our listeners about the experiences that have shaped your life path, your choices at the present time. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, my life path is um, long and interesting. <laughs> um, people often ask, why do you do this work? Because it's it's heavy, it's emotional, it's intense. Um, but my answer is always, they say, do what you know. And grief and trauma has been the hallmark of my entire journey. Um, growing up with all sorts of abuse and neglect, 
uh, very difficult circumstances in my household and uh, which did not leave me well prepared for life. And of course, once you get out into the world, life will start throwing you curveballs because that's what it does. And the biggest curveball um, was actually one that wove grief and trauma together in a very tight uh, ball because that was the sudden loss of my mother in 1995. She passed away suddenly and that was one of those uh, phone call at midnight and suddenly your life is never the same. And so following my three months of nervous breakdown, um, my, I would say my healing path began, but it, it just the barest edges of it was realizing that I had no idea who I was and what anything was really. And it started me on a very long path um, that led me from the Midwest to New York and then to New Jersey, where I currently am. Um, and through a lot of other losses, a lot of other traumas, um, I always talk about, you know, well, I stopped because losses are not just deaths. There are other things that happen in life that create a loss. Um, even sometimes good things have a loss aspect to them. So in listing all of my losses, I stopped counting at 40. And I don't mean 40 years old. I mean, 40 losses. Um, so because after that, it just becomes redundant. Um, but it's it's become the hallmark of how I've shaped my journey is learning who I am and learning how to survive and grow beyond the things that life deals us. Sometimes we get a very odd mix of some real gifts and some real hardships. And how do we navigate all of that? Um, so that is something I've been very blessed to work really hard on. And as I've learned more and more and still learning about myself and the journey, it is my passion and my privilege to pay all of those forward um, for the clients and families and organizations that I work with. Because this stuff is not easy. Nobody figures it out on their own. It's not something that gets taught in school. It, it's something you got to figure out on the path. And it's tough stuff. And that's okay. It's the most important work of our lives and figuring it out and navigating that means we need help. We need folks by our side who can walk the journey with us to help us figure out all of that intensity and all of that emotionality to make a life that is not defined by the grief and trauma, but by our survival and our joy and what we can contribute then to the next books who come after us. And I've always thought it's important to have on the on that path individuals who are not only willing to sit with you during the worst trauma and the worst pain that you may experience and will experience in your life, yeah. but are also those individuals who are willing to introduce you to different perspectives that are going to be necessary for us to learn how to live in a world that is, is now different. And every trauma changes the landscape of the world that, that we live in. Yes, and absolutely. The other thing that you mentioned that I thought is an important point is that with every loss due to death, there are also associated losses that go with it. 
And I think that's why grief is such a complex process to navigate because not only is there the loss, the loss due to death, but you have also have the loss of relationships. You have the loss of dreams for the future. And all of these weigh into the, with the physical loss as well, too, making grief a very challenging path to navigate. And it's, it's even, it's even more layered than that because depending on the loss, your view of your place in the universe has changed is one piece of it. The other piece I was thinking of as well is it's not only a death, but if you, there's grief associated with a divorce, there's grief associated with changing jobs or losing your house or, I mean, any number of the traumas that we go through in life, there's a grief aspect to it. And even happy things, getting married can have a grief aspect to it. Retiring can have a grief aspect to it. So there it's, it weaves throughout so many, um, uh, peak experiences of life and they can be really high highs or they can be really low lows, but more often than not, it's a combination of the two. We're going to be talking about, um, challenges and solutions for grief in the workplace today. So it seems like this is a nice segue to get into, to some of those exactly. questions. So first of all, how did you become interested in issues related to workplace grief? Well, pretty much every loss, one of the first things that comes to mind is, can I get off work? And usually the answer is yes, but then it becomes very fraught, is how much time do we have off? How does your workplace respond? We spend more time at work often than we do at home with our families. So how they respond in a crisis can make things easier or much harder. Um, you know, when I, I was lucky when my mom passed um, to be able to use, it was, the, it was the year that the Family Medical Leave Act started. So I was able to take some, some time off um, to take care of myself. But with many subsequent losses, it got more challenging. Um, and when I put, when I put a message out on LinkedIn to ask for stories about what's happened with your experiences with grief and loss and how your employer responded, I got an avalanche of answers, mostly in private messages, because especially on LinkedIn, people didn't want to talk about that. They didn't want to talk about how their, maybe it was their current company, how they responded. So there's a lot of shame and stigma connected to it. Um, and, and one of my personal stories is when, uh, when my stepmother passed away um, many years later and I needed to take a few weeks off because I needed to manage family business. I needed to peel my father off the floor. I needed to, you know, I do this stuff really well. He doesn't. So I needed to take over. I needed to manage all of those things. And I lost complete track of how many days off I had. So when I finally did go back to work, I immediately went down to the head of HR and I said, I need some help here. I, I got to figure out, you know, do I have any, I know I ate into my vacation time. Do I have anything left? What, what's the school? Can you help me count all of those out? And before saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, 
here, let me help you with that. The first thing she did was blow me out because I didn't keep track of my days off properly. That was my fault. And she was upset that I was bothering her with this nonsense. And I went, oh, I see. Okay. Um, and so we, we navigated that, but I had very little to do with that person the rest of the time I was at that company. Because, you know, it, it's, it's such a not human response. It's, it was, I just, I was gobsmacked. Um, and so you get all sorts of stories like this, never mind, you know, the details of bereavement policies, which I'm sure we'll get into, but, mm -hmm. but it just, it's, it's so in doing this work, uh, supporting grievers in particular, um, for the last 15 years. It's such a hallmark of what people have to deal with is how much time off can I get and how does the workplace respond? Are, are you expected to just pop back into your normal job and behave the way you could before, function the same way? Mm. Probably not a great expectation. And throw in all of the cultural stereotypes about aren't you over that yet? Or, mm -hmm. um, are we, are you still talking about that? Or, uh, that was, that was a few months ago. What, what do you mean you're still struggling? A few months is nothing, absolutely nothing. So expectations get, the workplace is it's very, very particular because it's different relationships. It's uh, different languaging. It's different expectations. And it's all woven into your livelihood mm -hmm. and that feeling of we have to choose between our emotional health and our financial health. It is an impossible choice. And people literally land in the hospital trying to figure that out. And I just, I, I just think we, we've, we, we can do better. We've got to do better. And I agree. And for me, my story is not maybe not typical for the average workplace, you know, worker who has to return to work after grief. But when yeah. my daughter Janine got sick, uh, my director made it a point to find a way to get me out on extended leave with pay so that I could stay home and take care of, of, of my daughter and provide any yeah. support during her illness. Absolutely. And then I was in therapy at the time, and my therapist and I talked and said, look, I, you can't go back to work in a supervisory capacity, not right now, not with everything going on around you at this point, personally. Of course. So he wrote a letter requesting a modification in my work duties where I did specifically case management, which I could, could do basically with my eyes closed. It didn't require a lot yeah. of rethinking. So... I, I was, was in that role a year after Janine transitioned in 2003, but that helped me at least get some, you know, a little bit of distance behind her loss, helped yeah, me get readjusted to the workplace again. Yeah. And also it made me a better supervisor because I also got a taste of what it was like being, you know, with direct staff and understanding what their concerns were. It made me better once I assumed that supervisory role. But not everybody has that kind of a kind of a, a uplifting story or a story with that's that kind the of exception, ending. not the rule. Yep. 
Yeah. Exactly. And, and you are also, you're in the social work world. You know, in the business world is quite different. Yep. It's quite different. Yeah, that's a good point because in private sector, the expectations are going to be different and there may not, there may not be as much room for flexibility as I had working, you know, working for a state addictions treatment facility. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the factors are contributing to employers being ill-equipped to deal with workplace place grief? And again, that's assuming that we believe that many employers are ill-equipped to deal with workplace grief. Yeah. Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, there's, there, there's, there's this misunderstanding about humans that somehow your emotional life and your work life are supposed to be kept separate somehow. And it, it's, it's so destructive. And I, I don't know if I would call it, I mean, it is partially ignorance, but it's also willful ignorance because it's, it's historic, historical rather. It goes back um, decades mm. that work is work and home is home and never the twain shall meet. But that's the same person going from that house to your workplace. So it's it's a different role. That's that's clear, but it is not humane to think that you can suddenly compartmentalize, in your case, the loss of your daughter and just pop back into your job, regardless of what your job was. That's that's um, as I've been saying lately banana cakes um and it's and it's cruel so so that's certainly that's certainly one thing you know it depends partially on what industry you're in i spent a long time working in the corporate world in the legal world um they're very high pressure um uh high stress environments and so folks who are already working 60 70 80 hours a week and then something tragic happens, whether it's a loss or a trauma, um, how does the workplace respond? That's part of what I help companies deal with. Um, but if it is responded in a fashion that is not reasonable, for instance, uh, you know, lots of stigmas or pretending it didn't happen, just ignoring it completely because people don't know what to say, so some of these problems are corporate culture problems, and some of them are the culture at large that has to do with not understanding how grief and trauma healing actually happens. It takes a long time. It can change who you are. It can rewire your nervous system in very destructive ways. People can cope in very destructive ways. If you push them too hard, you're going to land somebody in addiction, So, which is I'm sure you've seen many, many times. Um, so it is, it is layers and layers of unhealthy beliefs about what's happened and what people actually need. Um, and then there's just the, the old framework of your employees are expendable. You can just hire somebody else. Well, no, you can't. No, you can't. Um, and so the treadmill 
is going to come back to bite you. And I've watched people, as I've said, land in the hospital. Um, they, people get into car accidents. People snap. And if they have access to weapons, then you have a whole other problem. So, I mean, it's, it's so important that people have the time and the space to focus on knitting their life back together in as flexible and compassionate a way as possible. So there are so many blind spots. You know, people are looking, it's short-sighted thinking in the immediate term instead of thinking broader, longer mm -hmm. term, deeper about what will actually serve. If you think in the short term, this is just going to cost us money. Yeah, but there's a long-term benefit to what you're trying to build. So a lot of blind spots, a lot of blind spots. And it becomes particularly challenging if you're talking about a small business as opposed to a large corporation, which may have more resources. So it's a broad, broad, broad thing. Um, but we've just got to do this better. Well, and the other thing, too, if we would, if employers have the attitude that employees who are grieving are expendable and replaceable, which you end up looking at is how much does it cost to retrain new employees? And that's also yeah. going to eat the bottom line. Um, so I think if we can teach employers how to be flexible, better responsive to the needs of grieving employees, retention rates become better, their satisfaction becomes better, um, and they're spending less yeah. money, money on retraining. So, um, yeah, like, like you said, yeah, it is, it requires a less short-sighted approach in looking at the, the greater picture. The other thing, and I was talking to another person about this, our personal lives are inextricably woven into our work lives. What, when we're having issues at work, it's usually because of what's going on at home. And as a supervisor, I think it's important to understand as much as what's going on personally with that individual as, as, their, as well as their professional goals. And if we're yeah. talking about something like dealing with a, a long-term illness or a sudden death or a divorce that just pulls the family asunder, yes. um, those are things that we need to be aware of and offer specific services. Even EAP, offer an EAP referral so that that individual can can learn to manage what's going on in their personal life so it doesn't impact their work life. Yeah, and that, that it's the, the reverse is also true, that sometimes the, the work issues will leak into home as well. So there's an interplay that happens there. And so how to, how to break that cycle and build in support in better ways so that it doesn't come up that something tragic occurs that could have been preventable. Yeah. Hey, have you come across statistics, Claire, about how unresolved grief affects workplace productivity, absenteeism rates, and morale? And if so, what can we conclude from the data? Oh, yes. Um, digging into that. I mean, this is, a, this is really a new place that folks are looking since the pandemic because so much grief, so much trauma occurred. And a lot of uh, researchers are paying more attention to that. I want to just highlight a couple of things. Um, the, the statistic that's jumped out at me recently was uh, a, uh, a survey that uh, Northwell Health conducted. 
which is a national healthcare chain. They surveyed uh, over 5,000 of their employees. Now, they're in the healthcare realm. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as just the overall uh, subject of uh, well-being, well-being and wellness, and what impacts their productivity at work, different things on a scale of different types of wellness. And the number one thing is emotional wellness. The number one thing, 95% of their respondents said that their emotional wellness has an effect on their productivity. Ding, ding. You know, how, how can you ignore that? If you're, if you're treating your employee like a machine, well, they're not. And if you tie that to their livelihood and you're basically threatening them, if they have emotions or needs, this will not work in your favor. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's, uh, that's jumped out at me. I also want to talk about, um, uh, aspect called presenteeism, which is sort of the opposite of absenteeism. So once the bereavement leaves, which as, as you know, is the average is three to four days, which is again, banana cakes. Um, and that's if it's a spouse or a child. So it does, it takes the, it takes the relationship in mind, but not how emotionally distraught you might be because you might be certainly be distraught over the loss of your best friend or your sister or your cousin or your dog. So, but all of those things are much further down the list. So you go back to work usually too soon. And presenteeism means you're physically present, but you are not emotionally present. You are distracted. You have brain fog. You can't organize. You can't keep your thoughts straight. Um, so that is, that is a thing. And it is rampant because of those people can't afford unpaid time off a lot of the time. So there are a lot more companies that are expanding the PTO that they offer under certain circumstances. Bigger companies like Microsoft, who are looking at things like unlimited PTO, depending on the, the circumstances. Um, you know, obviously, you don't, you don't want people to take advantage of that, but most people don't. They really appreciate that being taken into account. Um, so if people want to work somewhere that's going to take their needs seriously and is going to have an open conversation about them and is going to actually listen and be able to be flexible, there's a whole list of things that companies can provide that make things that make things easier. And it's it's very individual, but the first thing is to be willing to ask the questions and be willing to listen to the answers and provide different kinds of support instead of just blanket time off and then okay, see you Monday. And I think to understand that the answers that employers may get from their employees, particularly from someone who's grieving, may be difficult answers. They're honest, but raw in terms of where they're at. And all of the, the brain fog, yeah. the inability to concentrate, uh, being emotionally absent, all of those are normal responses in early grief. I think one of the things I think we can do with 
with employers is simply give them some basic education on what the grief response looks like, how it, it changes individuals, yes. how it causes physical changes, how it causes emotional changes, how it changes our cognition, Absolutely. how it changes our social relationships, our relationships with ourselves, our relationships with our coworkers. Um, all of that, the, the basic educational framework, I think, would, would go a long way to at least es establishing or planting the seeds for a different mindset. Yeah. Well, it's, it just it affects so many more things. Um, it, it, has a, it has a ripple effect through mm -hmm. an individual's life, through a family, through a company. And people talk, right? I mean, I, I cannot think of any client I have ever had who hasn't had a story about their workplace surrounding a loss that they had. It's one of the key things that I ask, how did your boss respond? How much time off did you get? How did they respond when you came back to work? Um, and people talk. It affects your reputation. If I'm, I'm thinking of a, a law firm in New York who has a reputation of, and I won't name it, but of literally chewing up associates and spitting them out, like 90 to 100 hour work weeks for years. And it drives people, it literally makes people sick. And, but there's 50 other attorneys behind who want that on their resume, but they don't last long. It's a treadmill of people going in and out and, and they, but sometimes things break that can't be fixed, but that reputation follows them. And I'm not sure if they're still doing that to this day. Um, but they certainly had a reputation when I was in the legal world in, in New York. And, uh, yeah, so it really, it really matters. It's going to affect your, not just your ability to attract good talent, but to keep good talent. And partners with other companies, other like-minded companies. So it, there's no way it can't affect your business. And I, I keep emphasizing this. Your employees are your most important asset. And they are more than, employ than employees. They are spouses. They are parents. They are uh, homeowners or renters or, you know, they belong to whatever faith they practice or whatever hobbies they have. They have a place in the world that is deeply affected by what you do to and for them. Mm -hmm. So what kind of impact do you want to have? Or do you want to be the, th the thing that makes their toughest time in life even harder? Well, you know, what, what comes to mind is, uh, I think, an old Lakota saying, which is, we will be forever known by the tracks that we leave. And I will add to that, make sure that the tracks we leave are impactful and not be scorned at as a result, yeah. as a result of, of those tracks that you've left. Absolutely. Um, we've talked about three to four days of bereavement leave being banana cakes. And by the way, after this, with all this talk about bananas, I'm probably going to have to get a banana muffin, a banana nut muffin. So thanks for that, Claire. I appreciate that. Not a problem. Happy to help. Uh, yeah, but I, I, but I obviously... I probably had an urge for some type of banana nut muffin before I talked with you. And then you I just kind of reinforced that. that. Yeah, you must have been psychic. You must have been psychic. Are you aware of any national legislation that has been brought forth 
to increase the amount of bereavement leave for grieving workers? Uh, the most recent thing was brought forth last year. Uh, the Grief Act was proposed by a New York uh, representative, um, and it was sent to committee and immediately died. Um, so, and there, every few years, somebody will say, oh, hey, do you think we should? And then it just, it never goes anywhere. Um, it is up to individual states. If I'm not mistaken, there are only 14 states that have specific requirements, but none of it is adequate. And it's up to individual companies. Um, so there's no there's no national stance on it. It is not a requirement. Um, but I don't know. It, it's it's a big country with a lot of varying needs and um, energies and ethos and all of that. So. I don't know that a national stance is ever going to completely happen, um, but that's that's why we're, we we have to go company by company and do what we can to meet the leaders who are making those decisions, the decision makers, and say, who are interested in, can I do better by my employees? Can I do better by my team? Can I build something that's really going to support them when their life is shattered on the floor? Um, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to help companies do, because I don't know that a, la a national thing is, is ever going to happen, sadly. Now, sadly, I think you, you may be right about that, but I think if we can impact or you can impact one company at a time to create a, a workplace culture that is responsive to the needs of traumatized workers, it's, yeah. it's the word is going to get out and that company is is going to be probably more at the national forefront of a lot of different things because of the way they treat employees, because of providing that type of a nurturing environment that accounts for their personal challenges, but also allows them to grow in the workplace and to grow professionally. And I yeah. really think that combination is really key. I mean, I think the element of compassion is something that is not utilized consistently, and I think no. needs to be. The late Ram Dass talked about natural compassion that, um, you know, the, the, the ministries that I am paraphrasing him that we build and the relationships that we build come from, you know, the compassion of a, a very sensitive and, and giving hurt. And again, that's all paraphrased, but if we, we led with compassion, if we use that as one of our universal values, I think you would see the bottom line in, in most companies improve. I think you would see morale improve. We wouldn't even be talking, we wouldn't even be talking about the need for increased services uh, exactly. for employers to, to take care of the needs of, of grieving workers. So, so tell us more about what the kind of work you do with companies and, and what the general response is to the, to the resources that you provide. Well, um, I'm building it out. I'm getting more feedback from um, employees as well as leaders about what they are looking for. Um, my job is not to convince somebody who doesn't get it. Uh, I want to talk to the leaders who uh, who are interested in finding a new pathway forward. And it's very company specific because um, so there's a lot of flexibility built in to what I offer, what I want to offer, um, because sometimes it's going to be um we want to provide, you know, we have a thousand employees. 
um, we, we want to be able to provide if somebody needs it, that we pay for them to have 10, 10 sessions with me and uh, they can schedule those at their, at their convenience. Um, and it can also be education for the, the management, the staff, uh, specific kinds of support. How do you support a colleague uh, who's had a loss or a trauma? What to say, what not to say, um, how to deal with uh, the stigmas that come from very difficult conversations um, and how to build something that is more, uh, as, as we said, compassionate and humane. Because if you, if you treat people like a, with a steam engine, you're going to run right over them and nobody's going to want to work for you. <laughs> so, and some, some leaders get that and some honestly don't where they say, oh, I don't have time for all that. Mm. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, you, you know, when you figure it out, let me know. I'll still be here. That's all right. If you've got questions, you know, if you want to speak to me privately, because it's also sometimes interesting that somebody doesn't want to say something in front of the team, but then I'll get a private message saying, you know, can I ask you about this? Because I, I don't, I want it, but I don't know what it means. I don't understand all this. This feels like very ooey booey. Um, touchy-feely stuff. I don't get it. That's not how I'm wired. Um, but my employees are kind of asking me, but I don't know what to say. I don't know. So it, it can be educational on those lines. So it really depends on what they are asking and what they bring to the table. But the willingness to have the discussion is the first, the first part. And the recognition that it can't be about lip service um, a lot of VAPs will provide things like, oh, there's a yoga class, you know, every Tuesday, or here's a gym membership, or we have a company retreat. I'm like, okay, that's good. Um, but I'm talking about if somebody has dealing, is dealing with, you know, maybe they're having legal trouble from somebody. Maybe they've had a car accident. Maybe they've just had a scary diagnosis, or maybe they've just had a loss that pulled the rug out from under them that they don't know how to deal with, but they're clearly off. Their productivity has taken a hit. They're not tuned in at work. They've got the blank look. Their behavior has changed. Um, they might look like they're not sleeping. There might be mm -hmm. health challenges going on. They used to go to with this group for lunch, but now they're going in the office and closing the door. You know, you're looking for behavior patterns where something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. And how do we help that person? Um, so it can be on the individual level, level as well as the company-wide level. So it's, it's, I really, it's, it's concierge support because it has to be based on what that particular company needs. Um, the other piece that I do uh, offer is a program that I call wound care, which is something traumatic has happened in the office. Um, either somebody has died or something shocking has happened, or it can be something has, shot, has, been, has occurred in the national spotlight. And everybody's talking about it. Everybody's sort of stumbling around. What do we do? We need an expert to talk to. That's something else that I offer so that folks can feel like they have a resource. Things are difficult to talk about. It's emotional. It's hard. Um, but there, and there has to be a better answer than just go in the bathroom and cry. So 
uh, which is what a lot of folks do. Uh, and that's that's not a bad thing per se, but also that's not support. Mm-hmm. So how to how to get to where they feel like you feel like you can talk about it and that you're not going to be stigmatized for asking for help. That's huge. Yeah, it's amazing. Right. After all these years that I've been in the human service field, that it's there's still a stigma around asking for help or re- saying I can't do this myself. Huge, huge. No person was meant to be an island. Um, I know I wouldn't have gotten where I am today without asking for help, without asking for support, saying, hey, I can't do this myself. Um, And if anything, asking for help is a sign of strength as opposed to a sign of weakness. It means we're human and we can't figure it out all all on our own. So, no. But I, I, I like the fact that you invite employers and leaders into conversations because you can plant seeds after a conversation. You can't plant it if they're unwilling to talk. It's like I saw this old line from a, a, a wildflower song um, that uh, said a song isn't a song until someone starts singing, and it's true. Um, someone's got to start singing for that song to be a song. Someone's got to be willing to have a discussion for seeds to be planted um, to, to help them consider doing things differently down the road. So, um, Yeah. If you want to go, if you want to go in that direction, I mean, the, we, we all, well, not all, some of us have, it's not going to happen to me or I don't see because it hasn't happened to me. But at that moment where it suddenly clicks, um, that you need to learn. Thank you, Mr. Peart, that we are only immortal for a limited time. And that realization can really kick you into some action of, oh, 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 wow, I better deal with this because it's really getting in my way or it's getting in my company's way. How do I do that? This rock has to move. And we move, we move those big boulders of grief and trauma when we push in community instead of trying to push it ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I agree. For those of you who were wondering about Claire's reference to Mr. Peart, that was our the late, great Neil Peart, the drummer for the Hall of Fame group Rush, who is a brilliant lyricist, a brilliant philosopher, a brilliant writer, and just from my perception, the best drummer on the planet in my day. Um, <laughs> so we share that shared passion for Peart's work and for Rush's music. So but anyway, just as we we get we're getting ready to wrap up here, a um, couple yeah. of questions. Uh, give sure. our listeners one or two takeaways from your own life path that can help them effectively navigate their own challenges. It's it's more than one, but I think the biggest things I would say are we are not stuck with the hand that we were dealt. Um, the things that happen to us are only a piece of the story. It is not the end of your story. And as soon as you decide that you're done, then nobody can get through to that. But it's absolutely not true. This is a chapter. This is a page that you can turn. And I have 
seen people overcome extraordinary um, losses and, and damage. I've walked that path myself for 35 years, and I don't know who I would be without everything that I have learned from my healing and recovery. Mm -hmm. It changes you. And are there some price tags along the way? Yep. The things that we learn can be the most important lessons of our lives. So uh, that's worth aiming for. That's worth reaching for. And it's, it's way beyond the things that are done to us that we did not have a choice about what happened. But we absolutely do have a choice about healing and learning and growing and being more than how our story started. You get to write the next chapter. That's right. And sometimes we, we, we tend to forget that because grief is such a disempowering experience that we yes. forget that we have control in terms of how we down the road choose to deal with that, how we choose to re-engage in life, and how we choose to be be present for those that, um, you know, we're we're in a position to serve. So that, that that's great advice, Claire. Thank you very much. Great suggestions. Finally, let's give you an opportunity to promote yourself at the end of the podcast. How can people contact you about your services? Where can they find find you? And what events and projects do you currently have going on at this moment? Well, let's see here. Um, my website is youcanhealyourgrief.com, which covers both my grief and trauma work. Um, I'll be recording a lot of uh, podcasts and hopefully doing more speaking engagements in the next couple of months. So take a look for those. Uh, the main places you can find me are on Facebook and on LinkedIn under Claire M. Schwartz. Don't forget the M. Uh, so that's... Those are the social media places to find me. Um, my email is nice and simple. You can heal your grief .com or at gmail.com. Um, and uh, so I, we're recording this uh, a couple of months before I post. So I will have participated in a grief summit. Um, that's uh, that's going to be online. So that'll probably be posted on my social media. You can find it there. Um, I also do a lot of work around the holidays, which may be passed by the time this posts. I don't know. But if you need post-holiday support, that's floating around somewhere as well. Um, there's also, uh, Dave did mention my book. Where do I put the book? Here's the book. Uh, Putting Out the Fire, uh, Nurturing Mind, Body, and Spirit in the First Week of Loss and Beyond. And even if it's not the first week, it's whenever you're starting your grief journey. And that's available on uh, Amazon. I'll just, I know the title's long, so I'll just hold this up again. Um, and that link will be in the, uh, in the description also. Um, and it's available on my website. If you want to order it direct from the uh, self-published author, that would be awesome. Um, or you can do it on Amazon, whatever's easier for you. Um, but if you order it from me, I'll send you a signed copy. So, so there's that. And the, the main ways I work with people are individually, uh, regular sessions. That's one piece. Uh, for people who want to work more intensively with me, I have a three-month program that runs through an online portal. And that's basically having a grief and trauma expert in your pocket where you get constant worksheets, feedback, videos, uh, more meetings with me. Um, and so that's a, an intense burst of healing 
and hopefully a little bit of wisdom thrown in to really put the gas on your your healing path. If that level of uh, of work appeals to you, I have that as well too, because for some folks, once a week's not enough. More intensive support means more intensive healing. So there's that. And I talked somewhat about the organizational support. So um, if your company or organization would like to speak to me, just reach out. That's mostly on LinkedIn. Um, come and find me. I'm available. And uh, I always say, ask me anything. Nothing scared me. I've got you. I could not think of a better grief expert to have in your back pocket than Claire. Her book, Putting Out the Fire, is great. I have read it. It's a great resource for anybody who's grieving, for anybody who wants to know more about the grief process and how to be of support. It's a great book. I would highly recommend it. Claire, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me today. It was great, and we will do this again for sure. You bet. It's always a pleasure, Dave. I'm happy to help in any way I can. And, uh, you know, the work doesn't end, but it does get better. It can get better. It does get better. And it's, like I said, it's the most important work of our lives. And we all need a little help doing that, including you, including me. And um, always happy for your support and your wisdom on the journey. Well, my friend and colleague, uh, let's do this against it. With that, that is a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. Thank you for listening to this episode, and please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.